Welcome to Tech Talk with Optimal RX. My name is Kristen Gilmore. I'm here with Julianne Grant, and we are ready to talk herbal medicine. Kristen and I are both practicing naturopaths with 25 years' experience between us. As big herb nerds, we are excited to explore all things phytotherapy and health with you. Hello, and welcome everyone to today's Tech Talk podcast episode. My name is Kristen Gilmore. I'm a practicing naturopath and I make up one third of Optimal RX's technical team. And today I get the great privilege of interviewing my colleague and the usual co-host of this podcast, Julianne Grant. And we're going to be talking all about the tumor microenvironment, which is definitely a hot topic, a supremely interesting topic in my opinion, and also a topic that Julianne is very well versed in and has recently lectured about this year, actually, at the NHAA Naturopathic Symposium. So I can hardly wait to dive in and ask all my burning questions. But first, perhaps for those listeners who are tuning in for the first time, or for those who aren't familiar with Julianne and her amazing work. She is an experienced Melbourne-based naturopathic practitioner who has practiced in complementary medicine for over 20 years. Julianne's extensive career has included working with patients within a private clinical setting, within hospitals, with sporting groups, with individual athletes, and also within corporate settings. Julianne has a special interest in the management of chronic disease, focusing primarily on immune dysregulation and immune conditions. And alongside her practice, Julianne is also, as I alluded to earlier, a researcher, a technical writer, an author, a presenter, and an educator for Australian herbal medicine company, Optimal RX. Julianne is passionate about education, uh, which I can attest to, and both uh, that's both with her patients and also of the naturopathic profession. She invests a great deal of time researching and implementing advances in natural medicine. And Julianne has a keen interest, I'd say probably more than a keen interest in herbal medicine, and is a co-author alongside myself of the new herbal medicine text, Phytomedicine Compendium, a desk resource for naturopaths and herbalists. And we would highly recommend that if you are a naturopath or a herbalist um, or even a researcher in this area, that you grab yourself a copy of this book if you don't already have one. Julianne is also a full member of the Naturopaths and Herbalists Association of Australia or the NHAA. So Julianne, a big warm welcome to you on the other side of the podcast. Hello, Kristen. This is so nice to be sitting on this side for, <laughs> for a change. A nice Thank change. Hmm. I'm very happy that I get to chat with you today and prod you and ask all of these questions <laughs> and that we get to talk about the tumor microenvironment. So <laughs> let's dive in. And I think the term the tumor microenvironment, although it kind of sounds a little bit self-explanatory, it might, I'd say it'd be a term that some practitioners perhaps haven't heard of before, or if they have heard of it, maybe they haven't really delved into what this term means in context or in a practical sense. So um, could you firstly briefly explain for us what exactly the tumor microenvironment is and what role it plays in cancer? I would love to, as you know, and I, I agree with you. I think it's not a new term. I think it's an older term, but I think it has become a little bit more popularised in the last sort of five or so, 10 years, possibly, due to the fact that cancer research is trying to find different avenues 
to support oncology care. And that's through immune therapies, basically. So the tumor microenvironment um, and the research within that area of oncology has probably become more prolific, which is exciting. And as you mentioned before that, you know, I have a real love affair for immune conditions, um, which sounds very strange, but I find the immune system fascinating. So the immune system plays a fairly large role in this tumor microenvironment. But if we just take a few steps backwards to have a look at what actually is the tumor microenvironment, it's actually quite complex and it's ever-changing. Um, and it consists of many, many different cells, such as it's not just those immune cells that we find in our innate immune system as well as our adaptive immune system, but there are also other cells such as fibroblasts or extracellular matrix, stromal cells, and even endothelial cells. Uh, so it's quite a complex environment. It's continually shifting. So basically, since the moment that cancer cells have developed and occur, these cancer cells start to build this microenvironment. And the, the idea of this tumor microenvironment is to literally support their survival, their growth, and their metastases. Um, so they're, they're, it's fascinating how they do it, by the way. <laughs> so they stimulate, the cancer cells stimulate all these molecular, cellular, and physical changes literally within the host tissues of where those cancer cells are found. And this is the thing, like the tumor microenvironment is not just that innocent bystander sort of housing off cancer cells. It's literally an active promoter of cancer cell survival and metastases. So it's something we need to understand and address. And once, even early on in cancer cell development, if these cancer cells have overwhelmed our immune surveillance and our immune activity, and they start to develop, they really do develop this dynamic and reciprocal relationship between cancer cells and the components of the tumor microenvironment, um, as we've said before, basically to support their own survival and metastases. But one of their major things that we're not necessarily going to talk about today, because I'm going to talk about one component of the tumor microenvironment today, but what's fascinating about them is they can literally wall themselves off from immune activity, from any other kind of immune um, maybe vaccine or anything that we're trying to, to provide our oncology patients through those extracellular matrix cells, fibroblasts, collagen, et cetera. But one of the other really intriguing thing is that to overcome that kind of hypoxic or acidic microenvironment around the cancer that occurs with excessive activity or metabolic activity that cancer cells provide, the tumor microenvironment literally coordinates this program that promotes angiogenesis, so blood supply, new blood supply, to restore its own oxygen and nutrient supply and to remove any of this metabolic waste. So it's like this tumor microenvironment is like a mini town for cancer cells, you know, and then that can that <laughs> through the angiogenesis or development of new blood uh, supply is that they can develop these highways to other areas within the body, even through lymphatics. So tumor microenvironment is fascinating and it's really an intriguing part of oncology and I think in the research we're looking at ways to overcome that tumor microenvironment and in particular the immune component or that cancer immune cycle that occurs within the tumor microenvironment. That really is fascinating it's just it's it's so complex but as you were speaking it kind of made me think about how as naturopaths and herbalists or holistic practitioners in general, we're taught on a broad scale to look at the terrain or the environment that, that surrounds you and its impact on health, like in a sense, the soil that a plant grows in, not just the plant itself. And so the concept of 
the tumor microenvironment being this terrain or this ecosystem that surrounds a tumor inside a host and how this can interact with and influence the tumor and vice versa. And, you know, the tumor is essentially trying to create its ideal environment. Um, that really does make a lot of sense. And, you know, you, you also mentioned that it is a, a kind of, there's lots of different components to the tumor microenvironment, but there are certain immune changes within that, um, that, you know, work to promote the growth and the spread of cancer. So could you maybe specify some of these changes that occur to our immune cells or our immune activity within this cancer promoting environment? So what goes wrong in the immune aspect of this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, like you said, the immune changes are fascinating and, uh, you know, anything that threatens as invasive and innately threatens our immune activity is really fascinating. So I find the cancer cell progression through changes within the immune system, but also even when we have infections, you know, we've, we've lectured on this so many times, Kristen, and it's one of our, one of our major things that we love to talk about, but even that impact on the immune system is really interesting. And I find if we look at, well, what is a healthy immune response, then perhaps we can then look at what goes wrong. So if we take the cancer immune cycle within the tumor microenvironment, so this is around the cancer cells, if we look at what actually is happening in a healthy host, but which actually happens in all of us on a day-to-day basis, you know, we are developing cancer cells, not something we like to think about and we probably shouldn't focus on, but our immune system is consistently clearing these cells that have become mutagenic or, you know, are no longer serving us. So what we have is around about six or seven steps in this kind of cancer immune cycle. And it starts with a dead cancer cell. So the immune system's done its job, killed off a cancer cell. And that cancer cell will then produce or or hand over an antigen, which is like, it's a way to recognize that particular type of cell. And then an immune cell, a dendritic cell, will come and pick up that antigen from the dead cancer cell and move itself to the closest draining lymph node. So one of the highways in our body. Once it's in that lymph node, that dendritic cell will present the antigen to a T cell via these specific molecules. We won't go into that physiology straight away. These T cells then become effector T cells and they're activated through recognizing this antigen. So that T cell goes, I get it. That's that type of cancer cell. So we're now going to start mobilizing ourselves to be able to kill off, recognize and kill off that cancer cell. So once those T cells, they're still in the draining lymph node, they then start, they've picked up the antigen, they then start to express these molecules that are required for them to migrate towards the tumour and then infiltrate the actual tumour. They will then start leaving that draining lymph node, usually through the blood, start draining it, head back towards the tumour. Once they hit the tumour, they can infiltrate it. The T cell can infiltrate the tumour. They will bind to, the T cells bind to these specific antigen complex. It's normally major histocompatibility complexes on, on the cancer cell itself. And they do this through these specific T cell receptor binding sites on the cancer cell. Once it attaches to that receptor, it then starts to kill off the cancer cell. And the CD8 plus T cells, CD8 T plus plus T cells, my gosh, it's such a mouthful, um, are really important here. So when we're looking at research for what sort of T cell types that, um, let's say, herbal medicines are uh, supporting the promotion of, then CD8 plus T cells are something we're really interested in. Now we've got another get dead cancer cell. So that dead cancer cell releases another new antigen and the cycle continues. So this cycle is going on and on and on throughout the cancer cell or throughout our immune activity with cancer cells. 
So now we can kind of go, okay, well, what goes wrong in the can in that whole cycle? Why does the cancer cell or cancer cells overcome immune activity? It happens in all stages and, you know, you'd be pretty unlucky to happen in all stages, but it, there's something that can go wrong in every single stage. And it will basically start with, firstly, those dead cancer cells can actually eliminate the antigens that they're producing. We call them mutagenic antigens, but they can actually eliminate them so that there's nothing there for the dendritic cell to pick up and to recognize the cancer cell. So it starts as basic as our immune system being able to recognize the cancer cell. You know, cancer cells can also develop clones of themselves that don't produce antigens. So that's a bit of a hiccup, you know, when we don't have something that, that actually recognizes what a cancer cell looks like to our immune system. And now this is generally done, by the way, um, through also, sorry, another part to this is that we also have these immunosuppressive factors that are produced from that tumour microenvironment itself. It's not just the cancer cell, it's the whole environment itself um, that actually downregulates the dendritic cell maturation. So they're not, our dendritic cells are not quite mature enough or active enough, let's say, to be able to play their role in picking up the antigen if they are there and delivering them to the T cell through the drainage lymph node. So that can step, step one can be hampered, you know? And then what happens with that T cell, if we move through the progression of that cancer cell, cancer immune cell cycle, when we move into the T cell activation migration and infiltration, here's where it gets a little bit more tricky as well, because cancer cells can reduce the expression of stimulatory factors and that major histocompatibility um, complexes that we were talking about. Now, these are actually what make our T cells active in recognition of the cancer and their ability to produce these molecules, which allow them to then migrate and infiltrate the tumor. So those things can be down, down regulated. And then we get these um, T cells that just become unresponsive and exhausted. They're not doing the job they're meant to do. We also get an inhibition of those CD8 plus T cells migrating to the tumour. And this is once again by the secretion of immunosuppressive factors such as the cytokine interleukin-10, which is a highly anti-inflammatory um, cytokine that we like to see in certain conditions, such as autoimmune conditions. We don't love to see it in the tumour microenvironment very much. And it also is an overproduction of prostaglandin E2, so another anti-inflammatory. And finally, that might stop us getting that T cell through to the tumour is a literal physical extracellular matrix that can block that migration of the T cell into the centre of the tumour. So that's happening in that migration and infiltration part. Once, if we're lucky enough, and we've gotten our T cells to the actual cancer itself, cancer cells can actually remove they can reduce or they can transform those major histocompatibility complexes which are on the surface of cancer cells. So if you remember when we spoke about the cancer immune cycle, these, these complexes are what our T cells recognise to bind to the cancer cell and then to set off this um, immune reaction to kill off the cancer cell. Well, then if we don't have these up on the surface of the cancer cell, our T cells can't recognise that cancer and we actually can't trigger off all these um, immune cell releases that's going to help trigger off the killing of the cancer cell. We can also see that cancer cells can actually release these ligands which attach themselves to natural killer cell reception receptors on site. Now natural killer cells are huge. They're major players, same with macrophages in anti-cancer immunity. So if they do that, then our natural killer cells don't have a place to start their literal lysis and killing of the cancer cell. So this is sort of where we have real problems in all steps of it. But the, 
the I guess when I was doing the research into that a long while ago now, it's sort of like, okay, well, what what can we do to support, you know, the immune activity? If we know the cells that are involved in each step of that cancer immune cycle, which we've briefly spoken about today, but, you know, we do know the specific cells involved, then we can look at, well, what are those cells and what are those components of the immune system that are actually really important in this cycle? And it's the innate immune cells plus our T cells that are really, really important. So we look at things like dendritic cells from our adaptive immune cell are clearly very important as well as T cells, natural killer cells and macrophages, but particular types of macrophages are really important in our immune activity as well as interleukin-12 as a cytokine and interferon gamma. Now, these are important also because they stimulate the production of things like natural killer cells, the right polarization of M1 macrophages. So there's all of these things. We know this now. Now, how do we support the immune system is where I like to come from versus, that, oh, this is an overwhelming idea of immune suppression. It's actually not. We can do some work here. Oh, yeah, I think... From all of that information, I can really see why having a working knowledge of the cancer immune cycle as well as the immune system in general and the different components and arms and cells can be so beneficial when we're making that link then to treatment. And can I just ask you, uh, what would the difference be between, say, a hot tumour and a cold tumour, just in terms of the immune aspect of things? So basically... A cold tumour is one that's full of macrophages, normally the M2 macrophages or TAMs, tumour-associated macrophages, that are not active. You know, they're a bit immunosuppressive. They're not really active. So they kind of encourage, they're anti-inflammatory. I'm really summarising here, Kristen. So, you know, if I if I'm <laughs> not going into enough detail, please let me know. But they don't allow those inflammatory responses within the tumour so that we can actually have an immune defence against the tumour, right? So that polarization is really important towards more an M1 type of inflammatory macrophage that does do that immune stimulatory processes. Um, and that's a, that is a lecture in itself. The M1, M2 and TAMs, tumor-associated macrophages, are really important. And again, we, we do have a role to play here in trying to switch that polarization more towards an M1. Did I just answer your question, by the way? I got sort of Uh, (laughs) sort of I was just thinking because I think while you were speaking about the different um you know the immune activity and the different immune cells I was thinking about the hot and the cold tumors and how um they're not necessarily you know a cold tumor sort of sounds like it would be good and a hot tumor sort of sounds like it would be bad but that's not necessarily the case that's right well that's and that's what I said was the m2 was in that cold tumor which is that anti-inflammatory kind of response which just creates the survival of that cancer cell growth because we don't have those active immune components in there of the innate system um, or we don't have them stimulated as much and also those m2 macrophages or tumor associated macrophages they often get um, interchanged even though they're different things they actually encourage the immunosuppressive responses so cytokines such as interleukin 10 um all of these other kind of molecules that are are present within the tumour, they encourage them to be there. And that just continues to encourage the growth, angiogenesis, metastases of that particular tumour. That's why it's called a cold tumour. A hot tumour is that one that is more inflamed. And perhaps we can think of it in that regard, a hot inflammation. We can think of it a little bit more like that. Hot tumours have better prognosis, better outcomes. And so that is something to really think about when you're, and often we will get, sometimes, not often, you might know that about your patient's particular tumour as well, which is a great thing. 
you know, it, it, that, that sort of information can be quite valuable to us in terms of really narrowing down what we're choosing for herbal medicine treatment or treatment full stop. Yeah. Yeah. So the immune activity within the tumour microenvironment is just so crucial to either the survival and the spread of cancer cells or not. So I guess when we are thinking about herbal medicines that, you know, the ones that we use in clinic and, and how many of these have amazing immune modulating effects and via lots of different mechanisms, uh, does this type of activity then translate to use in this particular situation? So can we use herbal medicines to help optimize immune activity within the tumor microenvironment? Yeah. So this is where, you know, we just love herbal medicine so much because yes, we can, you know, and this is, it's not black and white. Every person is different. Uh, the activity of herbal medicines is dependent on so many factors when we're talking about a host. Um, but generally, yes, um, you know, herbal medicine is something that that is, I, I believe, a very strong tool for immune activity. And we can make that as specific to tumor microenvironments as well. And I think when we're looking at what we're looking for in herbal medicines is we have to kind of look at the goals of treatment for our herbal medicines. So one of the major things is obviously to support innate immune activity. So those innate and activate those cells, not just support it, but activate those cells such as dendritic cells. So encourage their maturation, their movement through the lymph system to the thymus, encourage that maturation. Herbal medicines have been found to do this to activate natural killer cells, not just produce, but to activate natural killer cells and macrophages, to polarise macrophages in the right way, which is what we just spoke about. And also to just support and enhance our immunosurveillance. You know, in this day and age, particularly on the back of a pandemic, a lot of immune surveillance and that innate um, immune activity is a little bit suppressed, you know, with stress, poor sleep, poor diet, um, an imbalance in microbiome. So I think that if we look at, we want to enhance immunosurveillance and we want to activate our innate immunity, that is one thing we can look for in our herbal medicines for sure. And via that, the promotion of a T helper one immunity is also really important because that's where we get those cytokines such as interleukin 12, interferon gamma that play a really big role in our innate activation and immune support. And then on the flip side of that, we want to look for herbal medicines that are actually immuno that reduce those immunosuppressive cytokines, such as interleukin 10, um, transforming growth factor beta, you know, a few of them like this. So this is where we can marry up our research to the types of herbal medicines that we're choosing. And one little caveat I'll say too, I think is a really important thing to think about and we often forget is that we need to support a person's lymphatic and circulatory systems as well. And that is all about supporting that T-cell maturation, which we spoke about that cycle before when we spoke about drainage lymph nodes and how important they are. So if we can keep that in the back of our mind um, and that might be through herbal medicines, it might be through lifestyle factors, might be through exercise, et cetera. But thinking about how we can do that too is really important. So yes, the long-winded answer to your question, Kristen, is herbal medicine can play a role. We just have to be specific with what we're trying to utilise. A perfect answer. And I really like that you pulled in the lymphatics there and, and mentioned that, you know, because there are so many different ways that we can support our lymphatics. So it doesn't have to be through herbal medicine, even though we do have some amazing lymphatic herbs and drainage herbal medicines. So when we're thinking about all the different types of herbal medicines that we can choose, you and I, Julianne, have done a lot of research over the last couple of years and spoken a lot about medicinal mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And they really do appear to be unique in their ability to influence the cancer immune cycle within 
the tumor microenvironment. Could you sort of briefly explain their role here for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. And they are unique. And this is basically due to their polysaccharides or the beta-glucans. Um, and Dr. Lee Solshula did a great presentation for us earlier back at the end of March, start of April, wasn't it, Kristen? I think <laughs> it's you going so fast. Um, where she actually demonstrated and outlined how these beta-glucans interact with our immune system from within the gut to stimulate this type of activity that we're looking for as anti-cancer. So if you haven't watched that or if you haven't, um, if you weren't there live or you haven't already purchased the recording, I strongly recommend you get in touch with Optimal Rx or Obon Health Supplies and purchase the recording of, of that medicinal mushroom lecture. It was really valuable. But it's because of these beta-glucans and their impact on the immune system is that makes them very unique in the anti-cancer or oncology kind of setting. And one of the major reasons is because they do such a great job at inducing innate immunity. So when we were talking about M1, M2, tumor-associated macrophages, medicinal mushrooms do increase M1 activation of macrophages. So they are supportive of hot tumors in that regards. So we love them for that reason. They're also being found to increase or improve dendritic cell maturation and function. And we're talking about a few cytokines before and different uh, air, different cytokines within a T helper one response that we want. Mushrooms can do that. So they will increase the amount and activity of interferon gamma, interleukin 12, tumor necrosis factor alpha. These are all really important in an anti-cancer immune environment. And finally, one of my favorite things is that they increase natural killer cell activity, which is very, very important. So we can tick so many boxes from uh, our mushroom beta-glucans here. They also do work on the adaptive immune system too. So they do stimulate CD4 and CD8 plus T lymphocytes. This is really, really important in that killing off of those tumor sites and tumor cells or cancer cells as well. And finally, they actually have been found to activate complement system. So that's the complement system that coordinates or communicates with both our innate and adaptive immune system. It has its own immune activity as well. To me, I just think of it as a really big and important bridge between the two arms of the immune system. I know I'm, I'm making that a little bit too basic, but mushrooms can, medicinal mushrooms can impact all areas of immune activity within the tumor microenvironment. So it is very, very difficult to go past them when you're looking for herbal medicines to actually impact that area. And now often these mushrooms and individual mushrooms might have specific anti-cancer activity also, but all of them will impact the tumor microenvironment in some way. I mean, my favorites are, you know, cordyceps, maitake, reishi, and of course we can't go past turkey tail too. So, you know, and we're just doing more research on agaricus and that's huge. And I know you found it in chaga, so we can go on and on, but my favorites are literally those four um, that we tend to utilize in clinics. So I think the mushrooms are quite specific to the tumor microenvironment and we cannot go past them. Aren't they fantastic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and we have great clinical trials too. This is the thing, like when we're looking at clinical trials, sorry to interrupt you, Kristen, but when we're, I wanted to mention this is that sometimes when we're looking at clinical trials or systematic reviews, one of the major things that we look at is survival time. So how, how much a percentage of those oncology patients through, is there five-year survival, 10-year survival? 
we tend to see really great outcomes in that with regards to medicinal mushroom use. And that's important because that is, that is meaning that the environment that that cancer cell or cancer was in isn't being allowed to necessarily spread, metastasize and take over. So we have to assume that the immune system is playing a role there. And so that survival time is really important. And I think if we're looking at clinical trials and research regarding that, be aware of that outcome. You know, not just quality of life, not just reduce cancer cell mass. Like be aware of survivorship. I think that's a really important thing to look at. And it's a great indicator, like you said, because I think sometimes when you see a number in a in a research article or in a in a clinical trial, it's hard to translate that into a, a real life scenario of what is actually going on. So that's very true. And Look, you did start to kind of answer my next question by mentioning some of your favourite medicinal mushrooms, but I have to prod you a little bit more and ask you, which, you know, I do think this is something that we do on this podcast and it is almost unanswerable a lot of the time. Uh, But alongside those medicinal mushrooms that you can't go past in this area, can you choose a couple of your favourite, say, herbal medicines that you believe also stand out in this area and can positively influence the cancer immune cycle within the tumor microenvironment definitely definitely and there are quite a few and as you said like medicinal mushrooms are are, are a given they're just a given in this area that we need to embrace and understand and utilize the ones that are best suited for that individual patient then there are a couple of other herbal medicines that i think are really strong in the research and just very helpful for quality of life and patient's well-being also and that first one is astragalus you know, astragalus is really important in the chronic disease setting, but also in that oncology setting. And one of the reasons why I love astragalus is because it does work to restore innate immunity, which is, again, when we're looking at the medicinal mushrooms, it's just as important. We also see that it improves CD8 plus T cell cytotoxicity. So that's the killing of the cancer cell. It improves the activity of those CD8 T cells. And from clinical trials, as I mentioned just before, the, the overall sense of well-being and reducing cancer-related fatigue, astragalus has been shown really positively in those clinical trials. So it, in, it does support that sense of well-being in, um, in our cancer patients. So that's astragalus, just briefly. Um, and if we wanted to dive deeper into astragalus too, I'll just be really quickly because I know we don't want to go on and on about this. But if we dive really, I said it restores innate immune function. Some of those things that are important that what we've been talking about is that it will improve that M1 activation again of and polarization of macrophages. Um, it has a great role to play in dendritic cell activation, um, antigen presentation and maturation. And I already mentioned the support in regards to the CD8 Uh, T lymphocytes. I could go on and on. And natural killer cells is another immune cell that astragalus will impact in regards to its activity and improve its activity too. So I really do think that astragalus is another given for me in my oncology patients. And that also means survivorship patients. So that's those that have been through the, those acute stages and are into their survivorship stage, which is beautiful. And a long-term phytomedicine as well. And the other one that I love is turmeric. You know, turmeric is something that we, I don't know, we sort of forget about these days. I think it had its had its moment in the spotlight and it's one of those ones that we just know is there, but we sometimes forget to use. And I think turmeric is outstanding in this regards. And it's what I like to call it is it's an inflammation modulator. So it's not necessarily, we know it as an anti-inflammatory, but it does 
regulate our inflammatory response. And that's important here. We don't want anti-inflammatories necessarily. We want those phytomedicines that work to modulate inflammation for the betterment of the host. And that is that polarization of M1, M2. So turmeric is beneficial in that regards as well. And it's another one that supports our TH1 immunity. So those interleukin 12s, interferon gamma that we want um, supported, turmeric will do that. And it also enhances our adaptive immune responses. So improving the numbers of CD4 plus T lymphocytes, as well as CD8 plus T lymphocytes, and their cytotoxic potential. So that's exciting. And, you know, with turmeric, we have such a range of clinical trials that we can lean on and pull from, and such many, so many beneficial uh, outcomes as well as cancer type. So it's a great one. So they're the two. I'll stop there, but I will just mention in case people are as nerdy as you and I and they want to go off and do some research into this area, they might like to look at bacon skullcap, mm -hmm. echinacea, of course, when you think about it that way, green tea and Korean ginseng. They're the other ones I encourage people to have a think about. <laughs> a very well-rounded response. I can't believe you whittled it down. <laughs> uh, we're used to it now, aren't we? We're used to it. <laughs> I do think um, astragalus and turmeric really do. I agree with you. I think they do stand out. And astragalus combines so beautifully with so many of our medicinal mushrooms. You know, astragalus reishi combination is something that you and I often start with and build upon. And and I know with turmeric, I often think of it for that immune exhaustion to to combat that immune exhaustion as well. So really excellent um, herbal medicine choices. And look, you're right. We could go on and on. So <laughs> I think perhaps to finish up the podcast, would there be any other factors um, that you feel are really important in supporting optimal immune function and surveillance within the tumor microenvironment? And even through, you mentioned cancer survivorship and, and, and that kind of picture, are there any other aspects that you want to touch on? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Um, one of them is, I mean, we can look at all the pillars of health, such as sleep and exercise and food, diet, what have you, psychological, emotional support, which all heavily impact the immune activity. But something that when I was doing the research into this that really popped up a lot is the impact of the microbiome. And we know this anyway with immune activity. We know that the health, the rich the richness, the diversity of our bacteria within our microbiome are hugely important in balancing immune function anyway. But the microbiome has anti-cancer pathways outside of just its impact on innate and adaptive immune activity. And I think that that is really important. So we don't just necessarily need to dive straight into anti-cancer phytomedicines and, and, you know, innate immune building phytomedicines, et cetera, or um, inflammation modulating. We really need to look at well, what's this person's microbiome doing is it dysbiotic? Is there any infection that needs checking off? Is their digestive power good or bad? You know, where do we sit with that? So I think while we're working our plans and our support for our oncology patients or survivorship patients, or even those that present with a genetic snip that they're worried or have a higher chance of developing a cancer, we need to have a look at the health and diversity of their microbiota and see if that is something we need to support because there is a direct link to the cancer itself and the tumor microenvironment from the health of the microbiome. So it's it's a tenant that we have in naturopathy anyway, but I think it is something that we can get if we're not used to working with oncology patient, perhaps it's something we might forget. So it is something I think you can look into. You can definitely look into the research, but be aware of it with these particular patients also. 
It's an excellent reminder. And we have, uh, you and I have recorded a, a number, I think, of podcasts sort of around the microbiome and the microbiota and different herbal medicines that can impact that, many of which are the ones you've spoken about today. So isn't that a nice... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, Julianne, I so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for your insights into the tumor microenvironment. I'm sure that this podcast will spark interest in this area for practitioners that haven't yet delved into the tumor microenvironment. And certainly this information is so encouraging to us as herbalists that we can potentially harness a real therapeutic advantage for our patients by targeting particularly as we've spoken about today the immune aspect of the tumor microenvironment for all different types of patients you're absolutely right Kristen this is herbal medicine is one of our major tool belt components you know it's something that we can lean on in many conditions but in in this space I actually do think that herbal medicines can make a really positive impact on I'm not saying that they're the be all and end all in oncology. It's it's complex. You know, this this type of patient is a complex patient, but it is definitely a tool that we can utilize. We can check safety data on, and we can use most of those herbs that we've talked about today are long term chronic herbs. So I think that for us, you know, this is a really encouraging part of our research and an encouraging part of our ability to treat these and help manage these types of patients. And when we were touching on the inflammation modulating role of phytomedicines before, Dr. Lisa Schuler uh, presented for us, was that last year or the year before? I can't remember now. So that is something that practitioners might want to, again, log on to our website and have a look at that and purchase that if they want to dive deeper into the role of inflammation modulating versus just anti-inflammatory, which is a bit of an old term for me now, I think. Um, we have some resources there too. We certainly do. <laughs> That's a great point. And I think um, there are so many gems and like clinical gems that come out of listening to Dr. Lisa Schuler and in, in her um wisdom and her expertise, especially in the area of oncology. So that's a great point. Um, look, thank you again, Julianne. It's been an absolute pleasure. So much information to digest. For those of you who have all these immune cells running around in your head, I recommend that you also look up a couple of diagrams around this and, and listen to this podcast with a visual representation um, to really track all the information that Julianne has very generously given us. So look, thank you again. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. Thanks, Kristen. 